You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 182, and I'm your host, Tom Gallo. For this edition of Look at My Records, I chatted with Rafferty Swink of Evolpo. The Brooklyn band just released their long-awaited second record, Sight Out of Mind on Royal Potato Records. It's an epic 12-song collection of colorful, nudely psych rock gems that touches on themes of spirituality and the afterlife and was partially inspired by science fiction concepts and one group psychedelic drug trip. The album saw Swink assuming a larger role in producing the record, and unlike their last album, Last of the Acid Cowboys, most of the tracking occurred in a more intimate setting. Guitarist Matt Gibbs did miss Park home studio. During our interview, Swink and I chatted about the band's decade-plus history, including their shifting sonic influences and move from Boston to New York, the thematic connections between Last of the Acid Cowboys and Sight Out of Mind, his mindset when creating the trippy video for their song Let Go, and more. Plus, Swink picked some awesome records from my record collection and dropped some knowledge on John Coltrane, The Wailers, and and more. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. All right, you're listening to Look at My Records. Very, very excited to have Rafferty Swink here of the awesome band Evolfo. Their new album, Sight Out of Mind, is out now on Royal Potato Family. We love that label here. <laughs> oh, yeah. How are you today? Great to have you on the podcast today. Really looking forward to speaking with you. I'm great. Thanks for having me, Tom. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. This is actually my first ever podcast. So, Well, buckle up. You're in for a crazy ride of <laughs> yeah, fun yeah. and music yeah, chatting. Yeah, yeah. That's, all I, that's all I do. So, Yeah, that's a good thing to do, for <laughs> sure. Well, I'm really excited to have you. Big fan of your first record, and this second record is excellent thanks, as thanks. well. I'd love to dive into the band's history a little bit. I didn't sure. realize, I guess the current incarnation of the band is not as old, but this project in and of itself has been around for over a decade. So tell me a yeah, little bit yeah, about yeah. how this band started originally. Yeah, so it started my bandmate, Matt. It was sort of like a a continuation of a group he had on the west coast like growing up and when he moved to the east coast he kind of reformed it i met him there and um since then we've kind of been more or less the same group for yeah like you said like almost a decade now kind of just figuring out the sound gigging a lot you know doing basement shows that's what we did in college a lot was just diy tour diy house shows a lot and um that's kind of where we 
cut our teeth, so to speak. And then when we we all kind of slowly migrated down from Boston to New York or Brooklyn, like 2013 through 15, I'd say. And then we've been here ever since. And that's when a Volfo, as it sort of currently is, is kind of like solidified, I'd say, like around that time. And that's when the Acid Cowboys, we start working on that, like right around that time as well. Yeah, so I know you originally were called Evolfo Dufet, which yeah. was a reversal of the food of love from its Shakespeare's famous description of music the from Twelfth Night. Dream, yeah. Why'd you or, decide yeah, yeah. to just drop the end of the name there? Did that coincide <sighs> with any changes in the band or yeah, something yeah. that you felt like this is a new era or phase yeah. of the project? Yeah, I think it was like um, it was a sonic shift. Um, just working on working on Acid Cowboys. Um, that was when it kind of like that's kind of what I consider the, the beginning of, of our group as it stands. And, um, so I think that we kind of just saw it as an opportunity to chop the kind of like non phonetic part of the name that, um, yeah, it was just like, like dead weight, um, physically and emotionally and mentally. And, um, I think we just all were like, yeah, it's a different, this is a different thing now. And, you know, I think that it just kind of was a signifier for us, probably more than anyone else, <laughs> really, you know, to just be like, all right, you know. And Of Love, I think, is like reversed as more universal. And um, and yeah, it's just, uh, you know, we, we're committed to the weird nonsensical name, but I think that it's good to have it be like a little bit shorter and punchier. Tell me about that sonic shift. It's interesting because it seems like you and... Matt Gibbs, another member of the band, have been longtime collaborators. What kind of prompted that sonic shift to the sound that you're you're known for now on Last of the Acid Cowboys and this new record as well, Side of Mind, which is definitely more psych oriented? Um, I think it was just kind of trying to figure out our voices and like who we were as a group of musicians more than kind of being confined by ideas of um like genre restriction or you know anything like that kind of just trying to figure it out for ourselves in the context of where we are in time and you know geographically and i think just trying to take all of that into account and like you know bring our lived experience as well as kind of like all of our own different sonic interest as a as a group of people because you know the lineup hasn't changed since that project really yeah. um other than our drummer our drummer our first drummer our drummer on acid cowboys angelo he he moved um so we had uh dave our current drummer stepped in like after we'd finished recording but um you know also part of that process so oh excuse me it's plosive um oh good yeah, yeah. So that's kind of where where that all comes from, I think. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I was reading through different uh, reviews of your music, your bio, and there was this interesting quote that she's that you had in reference to Last of the Acid Cowboys, where you said writing and recording that record, you had to do a lot of unlearning. 
Mm. It, it made me wonder what what did you feel like you had to unlearn, and is that a process that continued for you into this record? Sure. Yeah, I think that it's always kind of um, well, because a lot like most of us come from in the group come from like kind of like more of a like a music like conservatory almost yeah. kind of background, and um, I mean any kind of art school. I don't think it's just confined to music, but you 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 it's like certain standards of quality and like um proficiency are kind of impressed upon you in order to like just survive in that ecosystem and also to like to pay for it for scholarships etc you know you have to like kind of do that and then once you leave you realize oh man that really doesn't help me be me and so i think that that's kind of what i was referring to is just kind of figuring out like who you are and developing your voice, you know, no, no establishment can ever help you do that. And so I think that that's kind of where, where a lot of that comes from. And it's, a, it's a ter- an eternal process, regardless of where you, you know, if you're educated in, you know, how to read music and stuff, it doesn't really matter. I think that there's ideas of artistry and stuff that we all have instilled upon us that yeah. you kind of, as you go on, you realize, oh, well, this actually isn't sustainable, or this is isn't actually like who I am, and so it's on. It's I think it's forever. Does does it going. have to do with like kind of the courage to experiment musically? Would you say? Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that you need to have freedom to experiment in order to find out those things about yourself. You know, it's hard to do that when you're on the clock, and it's hard to do that when um, when you're in in places that that kind of like are looking for something like looking for a sound that's already there you know it's it's different things i think that you can you can do that and you know preserving traditions and preserving certain things is great but also exploring and trying to move those those legacies forward is you need um different kinds of space to do that yeah and it's cool in listening to this record and listening to acid cowboys as well as uh, wondering what you what you think about this, I feel like you strike a really good balance between experimenting and being sonically adventurous, but still kind of keeping the focus on writing a good song. You Thank know, you. that Thanks. doesn't really get <laughs> get too out of control. You know, which I think yeah. within some of these genres can can happen, and it's kind of almost like, you know. Not really yeah. a song anymore, but I, I really yeah. think listening to this record, you kind of keep the the focus on that. How, how do you think you're able to kind of achieve that balance? And is that something that you're conscious of while you're writing and recording? Um, I think that I personally, I'm always like, <laughs> I'm always the guy who's trying to like trim it down, like make songs shorter and stuff. Um, and I don't know, that's just like probably a like personal preference of mine that comes through a little bit in the music, but also as a group, I think we really care about the songwriting a lot and so that kind of will inform where the music goes and kind of keeps it maybe from being like self-indulgent or kind of like yeah to to meandering also just because there's not that much time on a record you know (laughs) so when when um i don't know i just think for me i like i want to keep it moving keep it interesting um, just because there's a lot, we had a lot of ideas and kind of stuff we wanted to try to realize. And, and if you want to press it on vinyl, you know, and not make it a double album, it's, um, it, it, it 
the minutes go fast. So I yeah. think that that's also just try, uh, an effort to try to keep keep those moments when they do happen feeling really big and feeling expansive, even if it's not, you know, like an eight minute song. Yeah, exactly. Totally makes perfect sense. You're definitely a band that thrives on playing live, being on the road. Yeah. What's what's the past year without live music been like for Evolfo? In what ways was it challenging for you? Probably some of the obvious reasons why it was challenging. Yeah. But do you yeah. think it was also kind of something that may have benefited the band in some ways? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, of course, the... We all, I think, experience like various stages of grief as far as like losing live performance and and also just live in the room playing together was gone for you know yeah. a decent chunk of last year as well. So that you know that was tough. Um, and you know not touring and and stuff. But yeah, there was definitely a silver lining in having to postpone um, this album coming out because like this you know the album cover would not have been the same if we had tried to stick to our pre-pandemic timeline and also the video we made with omar l ohms he you know we we did that we were able to reach out to him and have the the time it takes to you know have a hand animated video produced because we we were able to postpone it till this year and um so yeah i'm really thankful i had i had time to animate a video as well so it's just like all this all that kind of stuff makes me feel you know, like at least it wasn't, you know, completely a, a bust or something. Um, Did you get to focus on songwriting as well during the downtime or? Um, we did we, for this group because we're kind of still caught up in um, this album and like that zone. We didn't, I, we haven't, we would meet up and improvise a lot and stuff. And I think maybe that'll uh, inform whatever we do next but we haven't been like really writing new songs yeah um yeah i just yeah for a while last year it was just like kind of weird um to do that but we would we once it became safe to meet up and play again we started doing that regularly and then we've been recording because we have a little studio out in ridgewood ridgewood so we um we do like studio session work out there now that it's kind of a little bit better um for people so that's kind of kept it going in some way. You mentioned the album artwork. It's this really beautiful uh, piece by Robert Beatty. Tell me a little mm -hmm. bit about it. Do you? How does it represent the songs on the record? What kind of guidance did you give him about what you wanted it to look like? Or did you kind of just let him go crazy with what he thought represented the songs? Yeah, I think for I mean we reached out to him with the with the hope that he would kind of um, interpret it, interpret the music, and and represent it visually. And we gave him like some you know uh, some references, but they're pretty like sparse. You know, it's like a few pieces of his to kind of give him context of like what because he has such an expansive like body of work. You know, to kind of give him context of what we we're looking for, and then. A uh, few other things, and also we had been communicating with this other amazing visual artist, this woman named Karen Quast, who um, animated a, or she didn't animate, she illustrated this booklet and album cover for this guitar player in the 70s named Wilburn Burchett, and 
Originally, we had hoped that she might do it, but she's kind of at a different point in her artistic career, and she just does photography and stuff, but she kind of helped guide me in thinking about the album artwork a lot just by giving me these like this expansive list of questions, thinking about like colors and like all of this kind of abstract stuff. And um, and so I, I kind of was able to talk to um, Robert about that and kind of in, that informed my thinking about the album cover a lot. So, but as far as like our direction to him, it was very loose. It was like, we gave him a bunch of, you know, we gave him the music, gave him the lyrics, gave him these few references and kind of said like, you know, go for it. And then once he came back with like a rough draft, we, you know, gave some minimal feedback, but we kept it pretty much like open to him, which was really nice. Um, Cause I think he just did like an amazing job of communicating the feeling of the record through yeah, like the totally. texture and like the, the gradient and also the like colors. the circle. The circle with the kind of eye in the middle and like yeah and even like the the layout and um like the typeface that he chose and stuff because he he did all that and um it just yeah it just like when i saw it i was like wow <laughs> he like, really knocked it out of the park so i'm so thankful that he was into the music and you know down to down to do it down to do it with us because yeah it's totally sick awesome album cover you recorded this record in your attic recording studio in your apartment in, Matt, in matt's yeah not matt's, not here um yeah. matt's yeah he was living in um kind of south of prospect park there's this area that has these really old big houses and he was living there with a bunch of people and he was kind of occupying this third third floor that was like um like one like a bedroom and half bath and kitchen kind of thing and there was a little studio space that had like a connection to a crawl space and so that's where we record that was like the the brain and so the drums and like all the recording equipment all of us were there and then we put an amp in the amp in the crawl space and amp in his bedroom and an amp in the bathroom and so we could get like some isolation um and that's how we did the, like all the basics for the record so what was that like what went into that decision that to record in that more of an intimate setting compared to your first record, which you recorded at Black Lodge recording, which is more yeah, of a well the, studio setting. It was more traditional definitely more of a setting. studio. I think it was just like we were t kind of talking about earlier, this pursuit of, um, of creative freedom. And so I think by taking the risk of not doing it in a professional space, we bought ourselves a lot more time to experiment. And because um, it was just art, it, investing our time as opposed to worrying about how much it costs per day to be in the studio and stuff. And um, that was really huge. And also I kind of posed it to the band as, oh, well, if these don't sound as good as we were hoping they would sound, then we'll just treat them as nice demos and we can take them somewhere else, um, you know, and redo it or whatever. But while we were on tour, we actually did some tracking. We just tracked like a few of the songs we were playing on the road at a pretty legit studio. And kind of, it just kind of made us realize like, oh yeah, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. As long as, you know, we have like the vibe and then, you know, I've been recording a lot of stuff like in, in the interim, like years between Acid Cowboys and that project. Um, I, I think that Matt and I had learned a lot about recording so I, we were just like kind of ready to take 
take the reins in that regard and it kind of just worked out you know but yeah just roll the dice you know people everyone in the band kind of put their trust in me and matt um but yeah i kind of presented it as like hey like i think that if we can do this you know we'll have a lot more time to experiment etc and and yeah it was good yeah what what do you think sonically you were able to get out of that then that you maybe weren't able to flesh out of your first record um well just like from the the start of this one i think the goal of having it be cohesive and feel like it's all in this same universe and have like thinking about like the flow of the album as 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 like one big thing not i mean it's not like we like sequenced it before we tracked it or anything like that or like saying it's a concept album but to just like have it all be one kind of sonic universe as opposed to a bunch of songs because yeah um like not i'm not saying like not not dissing acid cowboys or anything but when we came when it came to like sequence it i I remember feeling kind of caught off guard by being like oh like now i have to make these things work together yeah and i started realizing that a lot of the psych music that are not psych but just like music in general that i really like the sequencing has like a lot to do with like the the way I feel about the whole album. And so with this one, I was really, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the sequences and experimenting with different track listings and putting songs in, taking songs out, you know, and um, I think it paid off because it was difficult though, because with seven people, there's a lot of, a lot of ears. Yeah. 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 And, um, but yeah, I think that it all worked out. And um, yeah, I'm really happy with the way it, way it turned out. We have a few things that didn't make it on the album that I'm really excited about that will probably come out like, you know, later. Um, Very cool. So it sounds like yeah. sequencing the record and making it sound like one within one universe is at the forefront of your mind. Yes, yes. From the yeah. very start. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Just having it be a little bit like taking the kind of like standout moments, the things that we were like most proud of from Acid Cowboys and trying to kind of expand the scope, um, you know, expand the the boundaries and the the sonic palette as well, try to make the, the palette of the music a little bit more lush, orchestral, bigger. Um, so that was kind of a goal. And somehow like, you know, keep that raw energy because we, like you said, we're a live band. And so by tracking it all pretty much all live together, yeah. um, we could we were able to kind of ref- keep that, even though, you know, we did record string, overdub strings and do stuff like that on a few of the tracks. Um, I feel like it has that kind of um, that electricity that I like. Yeah. The other thing, too, that may have, do you think, possibly contributed to that was you're the sole producer on this record, whereas the last record... Matt is credited and Joe Mm. Harrison as well. Why the shift from you kind of being the sole producer and what was that change like for you? I feel like that was something kind of that, um, that the group like awarded me after the, the album was finished. It wasn't so much as we went into it being like, all right, I'm going to be, I'm going to Phil Spector this one, you know, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) it's more like, it was more just like, from the from the get-go i was just urging that we take as much control of the process as we could for like going forward for um that 
the new record for Side Out of Mind, you know, just as much control as we can until later, maybe, you know, we'll have other ears on it. And so that was kind of just the way, the premise of recording in Matt's attic and all of that. And so as it evolved, um, I just kind of became the guy, you know, that, yeah. and I just, I loved, I love mixing as much as I love to perform and play and stuff. And I've been doing a lot of that, not just with the Volfo, but other groups too. So it kind of only felt natural that, that it would just, we'd just keep it in house. You know, I don't think it would maybe in the future that that'll always be the case, but it just kind of felt right, but it was definitely a group effort. It's not like I was making executive shots. It's pretty democratic, um, you know. So that's something that seems like it's basically stayed the same then throughout the history of the group is this kind of democratic process, which is yeah. impressive because there's so many people. Is, is it yeah. kind of the same same thing with songwriting as well? It's like, it's not the whole group when it comes to the songwriting just because logistically it's kind yeah, of it's impossible probably it's kind of tough to do it that way unless i mean it would be really awesome if eventually we got to the place where like on the spot we could compose like compose lyrics as a group the way we could record improvised sound but it's not quite there yet you know um so but yeah with with the songwriting it is definitely democratic now with this new record Regardless of who started what or wrote what, Matt, Ben, and I, Matt being the guitarist and lead singer, Ben is the other guitarist, um, and myself, we together refined and like workshopped all the songs. Um, so in that way, it's still democratic, even if it's like a little bit more of like, just like a tight group. Um, and then with the band, yeah, we just kind of keep it, everyone has their kind of control of their own parts and you know we work on it all together and you know we've been since we've been together for a long time i think that the big group thing kind of can work in our favor a bit because if you have like three or four members in a group it's easier to have like a stalemate or like a you know a like two-on-one kind of scenario and with seven people there's enough opinions in the mix that it's it's easy to have kind of um diplomatic conversations about about the sound without it being like people are being ganged up on or there's like kind of two factions constantly going back and forth. It's like someone throws out one idea and then a few people are like, oh yeah, that's kind of cool. And then someone's like, I don't know if it'll work. And you know, so it's kind of, it's a little bit, the energy gets diffused and it doesn't ever, I don't think it becomes quite as like, and yeah, I don't know. It's about how you communicate. So for the lyrical themes of the record, the album was partially inspired by sci-fi concepts and <laughs> one group uh, psychedelic drug trip what mm. do you remember about that trip and how were you all able to piece the ideas that i guess flowed mm. from that trip into into the record yeah i don't know if it's um maybe a literal transmission of it of, of any kind so I mean, maybe zoom a loop a little bit um, but I think it was more just like, um, a bonding kind of like unifying day. We all had a day off on, on the road and, um, and we spent the day at the beach all together. It was really nice. And, um, and yeah, I think that that, that, that was definitely, definitely just contributed to the, the band. Um, you know, it, it being a band, you know, like a, no, there's no like, um, no one in the forefront really it's more just like every like a, a organism you know of sound all working together kind of like yeah w- with so many people i think that um you know you have to 
um, decenter your ego in the music yeah. in order for it to be good. And so maybe it that that helped um, kind of soften soften all of that a bit. Yeah, totally. And just uh, yeah, empathy, you know, empathy and love and all of that. I think um, are big kind of themes, self understanding in the lyrics, and so you know that those kinds of experiences can can contribute to the, those those kinds of states. Tell us a little bit about the record's three singles: "Strange Lights," "Give Me Time," yeah. and "Let Go." Two two great choices for singles. Give Me Time and Strange Lights are yeah. one and two on the album. So as mm -hmm. you mentioned, they flow really nicely into yeah. each other. Yeah, uh, those, I feel like the, for the singles, we were going for kind of just like showcasing the spectrum. You know, I tell everyone like, oh, you should check out, like check out the singles because they're all super different, but they're super good and somehow kind of work together. And so I think, yeah, Give Me Time, Strange Lights was just an exciting, that was a good, a good one, I think, to kind of like come back with and because it's been a long time since we put out any music. And so that was a great one. First kind of thing back. We've also been playing that one live for a while now and like we're finding it. So anyone who's been seeing us on the road for the last couple of years is like probably vaguely familiar with that riff and the hook and stuff. And so that was cool. And then to follow that up with um, Omar's music video for Give Me Time was just like so sensational for me. Um, I just l love his art. I, I'm, I'm just a huge fan of his like going far, far back, you know. <laughs> I've been buying his mixtapes for a long time and so it's just like really flattering and um, it's cool that now I kind of can consider him a friend and some a collaborator. Um, so that was great. And then the third one, Let Go, is the one that I animated a music video for, and one of the two that I sing lead vocal on, on the record. That's really cool. So d how long have you been drawing, doing animation like that? Was that kind of your first experience doing that, or? I've been, I mean, I've been doing drawing and painting and stuff since I was little, um, but for over the pandemic, that was like, um, that it became my, primary artistic outlet wow. for like a couple months um just kind of i think i don't know because it i think because it wasn't music um it was really good for for that um like period of lockdown you know and just dealing with with some personal loss and also just like the you know this kind of weird trauma of last year in general that was an awesome outlet for that and so i think that that was kind of a big part of the flipbook being it, I, I also just was super naive about how long it would take to how long it would take to hand draw like 300 frames of a flipbook, and so once I kind of committed to doing it, I was like, "Well, I guess this is my life now." And you know, also there's a thing of just wanting it to be good enough that we could put it out, you know. And so it became a thing where it it kind of took on a life of its own, and I have a whole new appreciation for visual artists for people that make any kind of film because it's a completely different at least for me it was a completely different kind of creative headspace than with music because i feel a easy sense of satisfaction you know every time i sit down to play music or record or something it's like oh even if it's not done it's like oh i accomplished this thing yeah. you know and for for the flip book it was like 
oh, I'm going to be coloring this color background for the next week. Yeah, it's more, it seems and like so way more hard. tedious. Yeah. And it's hard respects. to kind of be like, yeah, the, 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 the pacing is just much more stretched out, at least for me, because my technical abilities were, are not as good as with my primary art form. So it was good. I guess it was get out of my head. And it's a super cool, trippy video. Lots of colors and stuff <laughs> yeah, going on. Yeah. Um, oh, probably yeah, would be I've... good to light up or, you know, and watch or Yeah, something. I hope that people are just putting <laughs> it on a projector and just kind of like relaxing and spacing out to it. Cause... Yeah. What inspired you then? But uh, mm. it uh, were you really focused on capturing the the essence of the song uh, visually? Yeah, sort of. I think. I mean, in a very kind of non-linear way. Yeah. Yes, I think more than just invoking that feeling of um, of exploring your inner your inner world. And so I think starting with the, I had the idea pretty early on to kind of do the mirror image thing with, with the animations and build that on top of each other. And then my friend Laura was the one who helped me like actually realize all that kind of after effecty, um, animation stuff. She's really great. Laura Patino. Um, so yeah, that was kind of, I just kind of did it free form animating it, um, when I was drawing, I would sometimes do the animations going forward, sometimes do them backwards, you know, just like try to like make it this weird little, little thing. This and then and kind of not knowing exactly how it would turn out because I didn't know. Oh, will this be enough time for a full video? How's it going to work? And so it wasn't until I got them all scanned, put in the computer that I was like, oh, this can actually be a thing. So that was an immense. I felt an immense sense of relief because I'd already banks an embarrassing amount of hours and in, in the work so very cool awesome yeah. video everyone check it out on <laughs> yeah, youtube it out. it's a video for yeah. let go <laughs> yeah check it out check out all the videos because they're I'm, I'm really stoked on how it all came together so this next question you may not be able to answer because it's something that <laughs> matt said but oh, okay. he he talked about how um i guess thematically the two records are kind of connected where he's, oh, yeah. he talks about yeah, the protagonist yeah, yeah. of the album at the end of last yeah. of the acid cowboys dies. And then this record kind of looks into the protag protagonist internal journey. How do you see yeah. the two records as connected <laughs> like that as this kind yeah. of overarching concept with this character? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think that it's very, it's not like a uh, very um, solid, yeah, solid, um, like thematic connection. It was that was more of something that after the fact we were like, oh, what if? Because the because uh, <laughs> nice. the end of well, because it's kind of like the uh, the reason I think why that that came about is because PG sort of feels like like a song about someone dying at the end of yeah. Acid Cowboys, and so then. We had a couple, well, we had a, a song that didn't make the record that was kind of like a continuation of that story that was kind of like more of a, you know, um, a, there was like a lyrical description of someone kind of just like, like, you know, facing their death sort of. And that kind of grew just into this idea of like, oh, what if this whole record is just all of these things going through someone's mind before, you know, they actually die? Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's a 
listen to the record and think about it that way because it's cool but i don't know (laughs) it's just it's however you know it's whatever you want to make out of it i don't think that um saying that it is one thing or another it it does anyone any good you know i think it's just all about it's all the eye of the beholder and i don't think that we set out with that intention so i'm I'm not gonna (laughs) i think that's a cool it's a just cool interesting thing and we are there is a fixation with death and um you know at the afterlife in our work in my work in our work so yeah i don't know make of it what you will yeah totally so give us a glimpse into what your live shows are like now that live music <laughs> is coming back soon yeah what are they yeah, like man. for people that haven't seen the band live? And what songs are you most looking forward to playing live from this new I mean, album? This whole, this, I mean, Orion's Belt. To be honest, Orion's Belt is because, like, <laughs> on the record, it's just like this short little, th- this like tiny little black hole of rock, of just of explosive fuzz guitar and stuff. And, and live, that becomes like just um, a, a longer, more exciting thing also yeah i think yeah in um i'd say in general our live show is high energy very fun very fun for anyone i think we're trying to go you know just for a like no people don't really like mosh at our shows but people dance a lot and like move around bounce around a lot and so i think that you can expect lots of fuzz lots of fun rocking energy and um yeah we're gonna play the whole record down live we're having a release party um in ridgewood actually at this place called tvi um, oh great july great new 24th. venue yeah awesome so july 24th um because this will probably i don't know exactly when this yeah. is airing but um hopefully it's before july 24th so it people will can, be yeah sick oh Definitely. yeah then come out bring it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be a crazy it's gonna be like a, a really cool party um i can't announce the opening bands yet but um it's going to be cool so keep an eye out for that we should have a poster and a uh, official announcement by the time this is out for sure so awesome well can't wait yeah, for that it's going to be sure. great i can't yeah i can't wait to get back playing shows we have some fall dates too coming um but yeah it's just it just feels so good to we've been playing this new record like straight down in preparation of this stuff upcoming and we did an in-studio thing so the whole album's just like we could just play it straight down if we wanted which is really cool because <laughs> you know when you record and stuff and then after this past year to get it back feeling like solid is really cool because very very those cobwebs <laughs> very very exciting yeah Last question I have about the record. I like mm-hmm. how In Time Part 1 and then In Time Part 2 and 3 were kind of like right in the middle of the record. Tell yeah. us a little bit about the, the placement of those tracks, mm-hmm. how, how you decided to kind of split them up like that, and mm. how it wound up in the middle of the record. I think so. The middle of the record thing is because I was thinking that's the beginning of Side B for uh, yeah. all, you, all you vinyl heads out there. And... Um, and that is that was the main thing is just having the second side of the album kind of start with um, just a kind of more exploratory and adventurous and like 
not meandering, but like a kind of unpredictable arc. And so that's where it kind of started from. As far as breaking them up on the vinyl, this is another thing that only is on the vinyl is it's seamless. There's no break at all. Oh, sick. That's awesome. There's not even a gap in the record, which is really cool. So it's just a big fat track. Fat, fat grooves. Fat ass grooves to start side B. Yeah, and that's what, I mean... That's kind of, but for, you know, for streaming and stuff, I think that it it's, makes sense to do, to break them up. And they just kind of break up naturally in, um, kind of just where, where, where the, where the changes, kind of, the biggest changes happen. Um, and so that's good. I wanted to just make the breaks feel kind of as seamless as possible for the digital listening and on, also on the CD, you know. That's, so. that's, that's so interesting because I actually... Similar conversation with someone else on this podcast that I had mm. recently that you you have to consider basically flow for streaming and CD and things like that, but then also side A, side B for vinyl. So it's like right. different, yeah, yeah. It's, different listening experience completely. Yeah, kind of what are you going to prioritize yeah. too yeah. Um, is different for different groups and stuff. And, um, you know, different. some people prioritize the 45 still, you know, in some... Yeah, some communities like the you know the forty five is huge, and that I love it. You know, uh, not so much for us. I think the the LP is still the for me the prime the prime medium for listening. I think that we spent a lot of time for this record getting the vinyl master sounding really cool, and it sounds like it sounds different than the digital, um, just just in the nature of it. Um, and I think it sounds great. I think they both sound great. Um, so. Yeah, that vinyl mastering process is super important for sure. To yeah, make sure it's you got it optimized yeah. for vinyl. Yeah, to learn just learning about that. It feels it's a dark art for sure. It's very mysterious and shadowy. And uh I just feel like I've scratched the surface of under, even understanding how <laughs> how it how it really works. But Hell yeah. So everyone yeah. get this record on Please. vinyl, yeah. evolfo.bandcamp.com. Yeah. And it also comes with the digital download. So yep. enjoy it on streaming on Bandcamp. Enjoy it on your record player as well. All right. Now we're going to play three tracks from Evolfo's brand new record, Sight Out of Mind. You can get a copy on vinyl via Evolfo. .bandcamp.com we're gonna hear Give Me Time Strange Lights and Orion's Belt
All right, we just heard three songs from Evolfo's brand new album, Sight Out of Mind. We heard the first two tracks, Give Me Time and Strange Lights, and we heard Orion's Belt. And now, we've got Rafferty's record picks. It flows pretty well. Flows yeah, super yeah, well. I put some thought into it for sure. Yeah. Well, I also noted all of these records are within the same 10 year period, which I also thought was really cool. Yeah. 65 <laughs> to 75. You know, I was wondering um, if you ever feel like, because when I was looking through your record collection, I felt like I was kind of learning a lot about, about you compared to how much you know about me, you know, because you can really, <laughs> like, I felt like I should have sent you my record collection or something so you can, like, flip through my record collection because i know you, you you glean a lot of information about oh people. yeah Just, totally you know I, I grew up working in record stores too so um yeah talking about talking to people about music is just something that i feel like is kind of it's just in my dna at this point that's so cool where, where are you from originally by the way i'm from ashland I, I was born in uh santa monica but i grew up in southern oregon ashland oregon oh nice that's yeah. cool yeah so there's Very a really cool. cool record store there called the music hoop it's still around um, they started in Petaluma, California, but they're up there in Southern Oregon now. And that was like my, 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 like, I got like a world-class, you know, music education just as like a middle school and high school kid working a part-time job. And, uh, yeah, who knows where I would be without that record store, man. It really I, would. I don't, I don't think that I would be here today. Man, so, I want to visit the music coop now. It's great. Yeah, no, John, just go. Yeah, everyone, anyone making the drive up I-5, stop at the music coop and talk to John because uh, he's the man. And he'll he'll turn you on to some really cool music. So, John, yeah. thank you for yeah. the music education that you provided. Rafferty. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's huge. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's the preface, I guess, to this playlist so we're kicking things off with a little jazz part mm. four song by john coltrane off yeah. of a love supreme classic love record supreme. released in 1965 yep tell me a little bit about why you picked this record this is i mean a love supreme i'd say is probably like my favorite album of all time if i had to choose one album to just listen to forever it would probably be this record and um i think that it's a real high point in our civilization just the john coltrane making this album i think that he his whole i mean his whole artistic career is really just an inspiration i think it should be is just for me to just watch someone kind of climb the mountain of you know artist artistry really and and reach this kind of you know near transcendent point like pretty much as transcendent as you can get while still being inside of a human body that's kind of what he did i feel like on this record is really revolutionary and um i couldn't say enough about it it's really if you haven't heard it check it out psalm the reason i chose psalm 4 is because it's um the moment in the record where he reads the poem he wrote i don't know if you know about this yeah it's like that's that oh man and the first time i sat down and actually you know read along with his his poem and listened to him play the sax i was just like you know just speechless just really it's beautiful 
Yeah, it's an experience listening to yeah. this album. And I mean, he there is a group of people that worship him. In yeah, he's a, a church. He has yeah. a, his own church of John Coltrane. So yeah, and part of the Sunday fitting. part of the Sunday listening is they they'll play the record and just kind of listen to it um, as a group, which I I think is is definitely a spiritual a spiritual experience if you're so inclined um to that kind of thing it's really um you know it's 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 uh on on a higher vibrational thing also one of the only records i don't do this with many albums but i i possess multiple copy multiple pressings of a love supreme because i'm so obsessed with this album and just hearing the different copies and mono and stereo and um also i have a copy on reel which is um, oh wow that's amazing <laughs> yeah it's kind of yeah, crazy that's cool <laughs> um, where did yeah, you so get that i bought it on i bought it from a a, a very nice man in, on ebay who lives in japan and he just sells reels this, wow just like jazz and classical four track reels and um and i saved up and i got the love supreme one because and i, I will say it sounds different than the vinyl and, oh, I'm uh, sure it does. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've only listened. I've, I played it twice. I'm kind of like afraid, afraid to play, <laughs> Don't play it Don't want to mess much, it up. Yeah, yeah. I know yeah. what yeah. I mean. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. It's very high stakes, but um, it's cool. It's like, there's only a few records that I would do that with. And this, A Love Supreme is, yeah. So I had to start it with that. Um, I was excited when I, when I came upon it in your collection. Yeah. I got to get a real to real player. <laughs> It's it's real fun. To real so, it's it's a it's a world. I'm, I mean, as far as uh, like listening worth recording, I I do a lot of tape stuff. But as far as listening to music, it's something I'm just getting into and realizing that it's like this whole nother kind of level of fidelity. It, depending on the tape speed and stuff, it can sound really good. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. that is incredible. So love right. supreme. Hell yeah. Could, yeah, couldn't say enough. Next, next up. Compared to What by Roberta Flack off of First Take, released in 1969. Everyone, this album was actually recently reissued. So you could go get a remastered copy of this if you'd like. I have an old copy of it. But I would like to check out this new edition because some of these remasters that come out do sound really good. good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, no, this, so yeah, Roberta Flack, her first record just fantastic um i mean the whole record is amazing you know ron carter on a bass um i think i don't know exactly the connection um but the re i think so less mccann because the reason i chose compared to what is because it is an amazing pop popular song that is also extremely political and just like just red hot you know yeah um and that's because eugene mcdaniels wrote it and it's really like her this first record i feel like is really special because she the song selection and the people that she chose to 
to work with on this record are just like just every you know so you got eugene mcdaniels who's about to he's just going through this awesome transformation from being like gene Mc, gene mcdaniels who's a you know soul singer just you know doing like a hundred pounds of clay and stuff like just like to to doing like um really like psychedelic political headless heroes of the apocalypse i think came out like the next or no i think outlaw came out in like 69 or 70 and then headless heroes of the apocalypse came out right after that and i feel like compared to what is kind of like from a writing perspective i hear that same voice that you hear in headless heroes of the apocalypse i hear that on compared to what in i mean roberta flack's interpretation is just fantastic of it and then also les mccann has that's probably the first version i heard was the les mccann version which i think it's on the Swiss movement. It's live. But yeah. I think I think it's the same year. And I think that R- Les McCann actually was like instrumental in getting Roberto Flack signed to Atlantic or something because yeah. he wrote the liner notes to this record. And yeah, so it's just her. And then also William S. Fisher did the horn arrangements on this record. And he is also just like a super far out jazz guy that was just like he like the like him and Eugene McDaniels just went like right after they did this record which was huge they just both go on to you know do a bunch of awesome innovative stuff and roberta also is just a magnificent vocalist instrumentalist interpreter and songwriter in her own right yeah she's yeah yeah. so much awesome information on this record that i didn't (sighs) know so thank you for sharing well i feel like because i feel i think that people people overlook her her records because they're so popular and they're so ubiquitous, you know, that people kind of are like, oh yeah, first take, oh yeah, like Roberta Flack, kill me softly, like whatever. But it's like when you go back and listen to these records, oh yeah, man, they're great. Holy shit, they're it's excellent. Like, they're so and so like just this the because on this one, I don't think there's any original songs by her. It's all just select and but the selection and the way that she is able to make all these, you know, a Donny Hathaway song, Eugene McDaniel song, like, you know, all these different songs sound like the same thing. You know, it's the, it's, it feels very cohesive and very much like her, yeah, her voice, her, like, it's like, you know, like Aretha Franklin singing respect kind of, it's like, like she made all of these songs, her song, you know? And it's like, that's really impressive. It's hard to do. Really hard to do. Children are killing frogs. Poor dumb rednecks rolling logs. Tired old ladies are kissing dogs. And I hate that human love, that stinking mud. Trying to make it real. All right, next. I Talked to the Wind by King Crimson off of In the Court of the Crimson King, released in 1969. I think my pressing is 1970, though, because it's Japanese pressing. Oh, yeah. And There's I think a it's lot. a Japanese repress. But so, Those sound good. Those sound good. Oh, though. it sounds really good. Sounds sick. Super clean yeah. copy. Nice. Uh, this is, I mean, incredible yeah. album. Yeah, top to bottom. Um, just a, another kind of high watermark and in, in high watermark in Prague for sure and oh, i feel for i sure. chose i chose this one because the lyrics in this song are so beautiful and introspective and kind of dreamy and psychedelic and in a way that 
just speaks to me, you know, and I think that that's kind of what I, I think it's what makes this record and kind of this early, early era of prog rock stuff kind of stand up is that they did, they were still caring about the lyrics like, oh, as much sure. as the yeah. music. And I feel like sometimes that, that fell by the wayside as, you know, you go farther into the seventies with this kind of stuff and with, even with this group and the, and, um, and yeah, I talk to the wind is just, Oh, what a beautiful set of lyrics. And so jazzy. And the, I love the Mellotron flute, the uh, like normal flute, the drum sounds on this record, the snare drum. Oh, just one of the best snare drums of all time. Like across the board, great. And then, oh yeah, what a, yeah, what else there's, oh, there's this really cool demo, um, the, like a Giles, Giles and Flip, like dem, Frip demo record. And there's oh, these shit. early, there's these, yeah, there's these Giles, early, yeah. there's these early versions of "I Talk to the Wind" on there that are like a little bit slower and like done on a four track that are also high, highly the whole the whole like I can't remember what the demo is called, but if you just search Giles Giles Frip demo, um, it'll come up. It came out like a couple years ago, but for any any people who are into that early kind of era of King Crimson and Robert Fripp's career. Great shit. Great shit. Much confusion, disillusion all around me. I talk to the Next, we got The Big Ship by Brian Eno <laughs> yeah. off of Another Green World, released in yeah. 1975. Yeah. Another one that, if, I mean, I feel like it could it could have been released this year and still felt like ahead of its time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just so, like, this song in particular is just, ugh. It, sound, it still sounds futuristic to me every time. I just listened to it before we before we um, did this call and I was just, it still blows me away. It's just synthesizers and a drum machine and Brian wow. Eno. And I mean, this whole record, Eno in general, Eno, Daniel and Wah have to be like two of my personal inspirations. Cause they're both guys that do, they're able to wear the producer and artist hat kind of like simultaneously. And also let the two kind of inform each other. Like there's not like, they don't have any kind of like rigid barriers between that stuff. And when you listen to their discography as it goes along, you can hear how their solo music informs their production and vice versa. And um, yeah, Eno, yeah, he's, yeah, he's a big, big figure for me, for sure. As yeah. far as just an adventurer, sonic adventurer, um, his ambient works with La Rod, it's so much, so much stuff. So much. Yeah. Next, 
Neil Young, Walk On, off of On yeah. the Beach, released in 1974. <laughs> Within the last year, this became my favorite Neil Young record, so I was happy to see you pick it. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's funny because it's, um, yeah, this record, I think, it's a funny, funny period for Neil, and it's probably not the first Neil I would throw on if I were, you know, presented with his whole catalog, but yeah. I think that in the context of side out of mind zuma and on on the beach are like by far the most important ones that for like it's i don't know like it just kind of like makes sense with our record and and walk on just like the attitude and the lyrics of that song i thought felt like really representative also i can remember the day that i bought that record um which was i think i think that i was probably in seventh grade and there was a CD store in my hometown, not the one that I ended up working at, but a different one that was going out of business. And I went there with my little sister and I bought Walk On, James Brown Live at the Apollo and The Roots Come Alive all in one fell swoop because they had like this crazy sale. And I remember I was like, oh, I can get these CDs for real cheap. And I brought them home and I played Walk On and I was like, oh, I just, it was like one of those things when you're little and you just... The first song on the record is so invigorating to you that you just play it over and over and over again. You don't even get to the second song for like, you know, the first day you have the record. So that's kind of my experience with Walk On. Nice. Great on song. On the beach. Yeah. Whole record is good. Also, I didn't realize Levon Helm plays drums. Not on not on Walk On, but on a couple songs. Yeah. On. I didn't realize that until um, today when I was <laughs> I was looking at the record. Burning and looting by the mm. Whalers. Yeah, yeah. Have to have to include some kind of reggae in any kind of kind of formative playlist or influential playlist for me. Um, as a human artist, musician, and especially mixer, I think reggae is you know one of the most vital threads. And um, I chose burning and looting. Burning in general. Um, because I love that record. And it's also a cool link to... I feel like Burnin is kind of a manifestation of the Whalers' work with Lee Perry. And I think that Chris Blackwell, the guy from Ireland, he kind of just reaped the spoil. <laughs> he, yeah. he reaped the benefits of Lee Perry's, like, really hard work with them for, like, you know, four or five years. And it's cool because you can go back and hear... Like Duppy Conqueror, there's a few. Put it on, Duppy Conqueror, um, and they actually recorded with Lee. And there's earlier versions that you can hear the Lee Perry kind of like version of. Um, and also with Burnin, I have a version on seven inch called Curfew, which Bob Marley put out just through tough, like in Jamaica. He just put out through Tough Gong, um, which also is all this stuff. So. They kind of just brought all this, all these tracks, and then re-recorded them for Burning in like a little bit more of like a, like hi-fi situation, I think. But yeah, all that music is so potent and just like deeply revolutionary, and 
Yeah, burning and looting, like, still rings true. All the lyrics, very, all those lyrics. Very is just, much so, yeah. Yeah, very. it's just very, very poignant, and um, it's sad that not much, you can't say really, that much has changed. Um, but, yeah, that that music. Family Man Barrett, too, I feel like is an un, unsung hero of that era of the Whalers. Their bass player, he... Um, he he I think I think that he was kind of like their musical director and yeah. um and he he's his bass hit and hit so him and his brother were the rhythm section in the Whalers and um they're kind of like the Sly and Robbie for the Whalers and uh and their sound is so huge on that record man like um the bass and drums at the end of I Shot the Sheriff and just like you know really classic stuff yeah a lot of huge moments on this yeah. record for sure yeah and like still very rootsy and very like um kind of raw and like i just love like the original because you still got peter bunny and bob all singing on it like with the harmonies and like oh it's just so i this era i really love like the the end of the lee era like the early 70s into like 73 74 for the whalers the live stuff really good talking that live record yeah that one's really cool a lot of that's because there's a lot of tracks off burning that are on that like live in studio versions from this kind of era and just uh one of the best bands i think killer stuff we were talking about like big bands like big bands with that like fit together and stuff you know i think that that's like why i love reggae so much and like i think that's the big overlap between you can you can take a lot, learn a lot from reggae bands because they all, it's just a big puzzle piece that all works together and fits and works as one big organism. No one's like flashy or showing off. Yeah. You know? It's just like the groove, everyone like interacting and working together. And I think that like it's, and also with dub, dub music too is just like so hugely inspiring to me as a, as a mixer, just how, how bold and kind of, individualistic and in the moment improvisatory dub music good dub music is you know Ugh, yeah can't get enough of it not recognize the faces standing over me they were all dressed in uniforms of brutality hey, how many rivers do And wrapping up your picks with Tangled yep. Up in Blue by Bob Dylan off of yeah, Blood on the Tracks. 1975. What a record. Yeah. What, yeah. I mean, what it hasn't been said about this record already. Um, another personal fave of mine. The first Bob Dylan album I ever stole from my dad's um, music collection. So uh, it holds a special place in my heart because of that. And, um, it's just one of those onion records that every time you go back to it and revisit you find it, something else. Yeah. Yep. You just lay, peel back another layer of your own existence kind of. And yeah, the, the, the lyrics, they ring, ring true in different ways every time. And I just love the energy, how, how kind of live it is, you know? And, um, I'm a big, I'm a fanatic Bob Dylan fan. Um, He's probably the other guy other than maybe Coltrane. Probably like Coltrane and the Meters. Um, I'm pretty obsessive about 
Miles. I was really obsessed about Miles too. But Dylan, as far as lyricists go, you know, he's kind of like he's he's up there. You know, he's kind of unbeatable. Yeah, absolutely. And happy belated 80th birthday. Yeah, Bob. glad he's still glad yeah. you're still around. <laughs> glad. <laughs> Glad he's still just, you know, cruising around the world being a mysterious goblin. He is mysterious and <laughs> goblin-y as well. <laughs> yeah. Heading up for the East Coast, Lord knows I paid some dues getting through. Tangled up in blue. All right, so we're coming to the end of today's episode. Wow, so great talking with you, Rafferty. Yeah, thanks so much, Tom. Evil Foes, brand new record, Sight of Mind, is out now on Royal Potato Family, and you can get a copy on vinyl via evilfoe.bandcamp.com. Dot com also available mm-hmm. on all streaming platforms yeah as sight well. out of mind everywhere everywhere on the internet a volfo sight out of mind hell yeah so yeah. tell me you got a gig coming up in july big gig yep. hitting the yeah. road in the fall what's yeah. next for the band now that the album's out yeah i mean hopefully we'll be able to tour safely as much as possible so keep an eye out tvi july 24th saturday gonna be crazy if you're in the tri-state area be there be square and um yeah the fall keep a lookout for us on the west coast in november um doing freak out festival in seattle and we got a bunch of other dates that we're gonna announce very shortly if they're not they might be out by the time this is out um so Hell we'll be yeah. doing that yeah a lot of people playing freak out fest i saw hoover three trip yep. tides yeah. bunch of Triptide. great bands already on that yeah. bill and Evo, the seeds Bo. the seeds <laughs> all these great the bands seeds, yeah <laughs> may have we'll to make the trek about. out to seattle yeah no we're good we're, we got a bunch <laughs> of really awesome uh west coast stuff lined up and then also in september we got a little east coast uh, run um, going down south that I think we'll be announcing soon as well. So super keep a excited out for all that stuff. Yeah, really exciting. I'm glad that we can do some some live music because when we originally decided, you know, June 18th was going to be the day the record's going to come out, we didn't know yeah, whether or not we'd be playing live at all. We had no idea what it was going to be like. So the fact we can throw a big party even like a couple weeks after you know, the records in stores is really huge and it's going to be a big, it's going to be a big night. That's going to be really fun. So I can't wait. Honestly, can't wait. Um, TBI July 24th, everyone. Are you in Brooklyn? I'm in Jersey city, so I'll be there. I will be there July 24th. Yeah. yeah. Shoot shoot me a text. I'll get you on the list. Let me know. Oh, sick dude. Thank you. Well, everyone we'll see you at TBI on July 24th. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks man. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. It's been fun chatting. All right, we're going to play one more song from Sight Out of Mind. This is the final track, White Phone.
Between day and night, I. 